This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. He's America's most recognized and respected frontline travel news journalist. And in this podcast, Peter Greenberg holds in-depth interviews with travel industry insiders, giving listeners practical news they can use on topics ranging from the shrinking carry-on luggage allowances to traveling through the Middle East. This is the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. Welcome aboard another edition of the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg, travel editor for CBS News, and a special edition coming to you from Havana, Cuba. We actually sailed in on the Carnival Paradise from Tampa, and on the show today, we'll be talking to Christine Duffy, the CEO and president of Carnival Cruises, as well as Xavier Destrabitz, who just opened an amazing hotel, the Grand Havana Club, which is actually a Kempinski Hotel right here in the capital city of Cuba. But first, a little bit of history about my relationship with Cuba that dates back to 1978. In reality, it actually dates back to 1947 before I was born. Trust me, it was before I was born because it's where my parents came to honeymoon. They actually honeymooned at the old Hotel National, which is the Meyer Lansky Hotel, and uh, and that was 1947. Uh, and I've been coming to Cuba since 1978. When I first came to Cuba in 78, I actually came to interview Fidel Castro, and I was shocked. This is why I was shocked, because when I was growing up, every picture I saw of Cuba was only in black and white. Every picture I saw of Castro made him look like he was only about five feet tall. And when I first met him, and I'm six feet tall, I was looking up, way up. He was about 6'4". One of the most charismatic leaders I've ever met and spent time with in my life. One of the most passionate, one of the most nationalistic. And he talked for three and a half hours. And, and, and people who know me know I was in shock because I barely got a word in. But that was okay. What an experience that was. But the point was that when I first saw Cuba, like many Americans, I finally saw it in color, not black and white. People don't realize that Cuba is the largest nation in the Caribbean in terms of size. It has eight viable ports and at least that many airports. Uh, And while the United States, dating back to 1961, had an official foreign policy of ignoring Cuba and shutting them down, this country managed to survive. It managed to educate its people. It managed great health care, and it managed to basically survive on travel and tourism, which may surprise you because when you talk to most people, they think the Cuban economy is based on either cigars or rum or sugar. If you add the GDP, the GDP figures and look at cigar, Cuba, and rum, add them all together, they don't even come close to travel and tourism. And in 1989, which was a pivotal year in the world, because that's the year the Berlin Wall came down, that's the year the Soviet Union essentially collapsed, ending their support of oil and finance and military to Cuba. Fidel Castro did an amazing thing. He made the U.S. dollar legal tender, and he approached all the travel and tour operators all around the world except those in the United States because he was not allowed under U.S. law to do business with the United States. He approached all of them and said, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to let you build all your hotels here, open them and run them, 
and I'm going to give you a 25-year tax moratorium, and I'm going to let you take your, your profits out in hard currency. Guess what happened? Everybody came in except, of course, America. And that has existed until about two years ago with the first real relaxation of the sanctions against Cuba by the Obama administration, which were then made even more uh, easy uh, in the next year, in the last year of his administration. Now, an interesting note, you may have heard that President Trump has announced a rollback of some of the Obama uh, rules uh, 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 opening the door to Cuba. And a lot of people may think, oh, that means I can't go. Well, actually, that's not true. The actual rollback of some of the openings that the president announced only applied to doing business with any hotel or organization that might be owned or controlled by the Cuban military. Now, that may restrict the number of available hotel rooms, but the number of hotel rooms in Cuba has always been restricted because, at least to the Americans, because they've already been full all the time by vacationing Europeans. Only about 60,000 available hotel rooms in Cuba, and they may have knocked out about 25,000 of them under the new rule about Cuban military ownership. Will that determine that you can't go? No. There are over 8,500 listings on Airbnb for Cuba. We have actually, by default, turned the Cubans into free traders. And that leaves the cruise ships as well. The cruise ships don't need a hotel. And when I sailed in on the Paradise, there were 2,500 passengers, all Americans. How did they get in? Simple. They signed an affidavit claiming that they're there on any one of 12 approved people-to-people missions by the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department that would allow them to go legally to Cuba. You can go on a people-to-people program, on a religious program, on an educational program, on a research program, on a medical program, uh, any number of them that have been already approved. And that has not been affected by any announcement from the president yet. So we sailed in with 2,500 passengers, but three or four other cruise ships came in that day as well. We're talking between 12 and 15,000 Americans on the streets of Havana. Now, what does that say to you? Well, I'll tell you what it says to me. Go now. Uh, you know, there are the designations of AD and BC. I add one, BKFC. Go before Kentucky Fried Chicken gets there. Uh, and they're coming. American businesses are doing business in Cuba. The door is opening up. The one caveat, the credit cards are still not really practical to carry there because they haven't installed all the terminals. Even though the, the U.S. banks are now allowed to trade in Cuba and they're now allowed to release all the blocks on U.S.-based credit cards, they have not moved as quickly as they've wanted to to install the actual transaction terminals. So it's really a cash business in Cuba, and dollars don't go as far as they used to. Now it's CUC, Cuban pesos, or euros. If there's a way for you to get euros before you go to Cuba, get them. It will really help you, and they are widely and readily accepted. Uh, And if you're a big fan of antique cars, well, you'll probably drive in one. They're still on the streets of Havana. It's not every day you see a 57 DeSoto. It's not every day you see a 42 Ford. Uh, I was in a 32 Ford. And and when you think that the Cubans have had to machine tool their own parts to keep these cars on the road, it's an amazing tribute to their ingenuity and resourcefulness. Uh, Coming up on the show today, we've got the president of Carnival Cruises, Christine Duffy, to talk about the, basically, the impact of cruising in Cuba and why Every cruise line right now is sailing there. And then we're going to be talking to uh, Xavier Destrebitz, who's the guy who runs all the Kempinski hotels, and in particular, their new hotel, uh, the Grand Havana, right in downtown Havana. It's actually in the middle of a UNESCO World Heritage Site and well worth it. So stick with us. When we come back on the CBS Radio Travel Hour, we'll be joined by Christine Duffy and Xavier Destrebitz. Back right after this. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. And joining us on the phone, uh, the president of Carnival Cruise Lines, Christine Duffy. Hey, Christine. Hi there, Peter. How are you? I'm doing just fine. You know, it, it, I go back to Cuba since well, as far back as 1978. That's when I first went. Uh, I was there to interview actually Fidel Castro and have been back many, many times. And every year was sort of like, wait till next year, wait till next year. It's going to open up. It's going to open up. Well, it finally did. Um, and I know, and, and you know, because you've been in this business so long, that it, for, for an island nation that is so close to Florida... Uh, it would seem such a natural for the cruise industry because it's, in a, in a sense, another Caribbean island and easily accessible. Um, and and yet people didn't understand that the infrastructure issues in Cuba, there were only 60,000 available hotel rooms. Uh, so, and those were already filled with European travelers. I mean, it wasn't that they were suddenly waiting for us. And so when the door started to open up, uh, you know, we had so many airlines jockeying for position to fly to any one of eight or nine different Cuban airports from many U.S. cities. Uh, what they found in pretty short order was that as much as there was demand to go there, there wasn't availability to stay there. And so a number of airlines either eliminated service or cut back on it. But at the very same time, the Cuban government opened the door and said to the cruise industry, guess what? You can come and and you're going and you're going in a big way, aren't you? Yes, we are, and we're actually bringing uh, the biggest uh, shift from the U.S. into Havana. Give me an idea. I mean, we know how many you know passengers this ship carries, but you have more than one ship. In fact, you're the biggest player on the block. Well, yes, Carnival Cruise Line uh, this year will carry close to 5 million passengers aboard our fleet of 25 ships. So Carnival Paradise, which is the ship that uh, we have going into uh, Cuba, uh, leaving from Tampa is, uh, you know, again, it's it's the largest ship that will be coming from the U.S. into Havana. It's actually one of our smaller ships that we sail in the fleet. Right, because it's it's also it's a ship that was actually built 20 years ago, and and uh, and yet 20 years ago it was one of the biggies, right? I mean, 20 yeah. years ago, I mean, today you have ships that have four or five thousand passengers. Paradise doesn't have that. It's got what about 2,500? Yes, yes. And so it's it's one of the ships that will fit into the pier that we've got in Havana, um, and I think it's also a ship that, uh, given uh, the home port that it has in Tampa, uh, was very attractive for um, drawing the community of people even in Tampa that many of whom have uh, Cuban heritage. You know, Cuba notwithstanding, I go back to to nine uh, eleven when you know the travel industry was brought to its knees except for the cruise industry because you could reposition, literally reposition your assets and move them to U.S. ports. Uh, Many cities didn't even know they had ports in that regard, but you did. And all of a sudden, cruising became a drive-to destination, didn't it? Well, and I think especially for our brand, Carnival Cruise Line, we've worked really hard over the years to position ourselves as America's Cruise Line with more than 14 U.S. home ports that we've developed. 50% of the U.S. population can drive to a Carnival Cruise vacation in five hours or less. So we've really created an amazing vacation experience that is affordable and accessible, particularly for people... um, who don't want to go through the hassle or, or the expense of, uh, of buying airline tickets when they're traveling with, you know, families and children and grandparents. 
you know, because in the old days, and the old days are probably, what, five years ago, if you, if you want to laugh. I mean, you know, to take a cruise for so many people meant packing suitcases, getting to the airport, flying somewhere, hoping that your bags are on the same flight that you were, um, and then, you know, racing to catch a ship. Now, it's, 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 it's a, for so many people, it's a different experience. It is. It is. And I think uh, it's become one of the reasons it's so popular for families that uh, are traveling and looking for great value, great experience, and the accessibility that cruising has to offer, especially with the idea that you're able to visit so many destinations on a single trip. Let's talk about demographics, because who, who, who I, mean, I know this is a relatively new thing for you, Cuba, but who's taking the cruise? Are you finding it's multi-generational? Are you finding it's, it's, it's skewing a little bit older for people who have always wanted to go? Or is, or is it a very young crowd? I wouldn't say it's a very young crowd that's going to Cuba. I think it's really a mix of people, many of whom have had a, a desire to visit Cuba. It's a new destination for people who have been avid cruisers. As you said, it's another island in the Caribbean that most people have not been able to visit. We've not been able to bring our guests there. So as we've said all along, we believe there is pent-up demand um, and a lot of excitement for visiting a new destination. And particularly in Havana, with all of the visuals and uh, history, I think we have a lot of people very excited to be able to uh, to visit. And on the shorter cruise that we're offering, not having to take a week of vacation, to be able to leave from Tampa, sail to Havana, see Havana, stay overnight, uh, and and then get back over a long weekend or a four or five day trip is is really great value and a really exciting opportunity. You know, it, I, I was talking to so many different ministers of tourism for other Caribbean countries, and they were scared. You know, when the Obama administration relaxed the rules on who could go and, and under what auspices, they were, they were convinced that their numbers of visitors would drop precipitously as the needle would move and everybody would want to be first on their block to go to Cuba. And some of that actually did happen. But to what extent are you looking at your itineraries, not just for the ship that we're on, the Paradise, but some other ships to include Cuba as part of a longer Caribbean itinerary? Well, especially for us, We've, and we've said this to our partners in the other de- Caribbean destinations, we think the addition of Cuba into an itinerary, whether it's a short cruise or long cruise, is actually a great, exciting new development for everybody in the Caribbean. Because while there may be, you know, not everybody wants to go on a seven-day cruise and, and visit a number and only go to Cuba, uh, the opportunity given the location of Cuba to be part of an itinerary that includes other Caribbean destinations really should lift, no pun intended, uh, all ships. Uh, We also have five-day cruises that feature a stop in in Cozumel or Key West. So I think the positioning of of Havana and Cuba really plays well to people who might consider a different kind of vacation altogether and not even a cruise. Having this opportunity to bring people to a brand new destination like Cuba, I think is a big draw. So basically, with all pun intended, it's an extra added attraction. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're talking to Christine Duffy, the president of Carnival, Carnival Cruise Lines. You've been, right? Yes. What was the no, biggest surprise? No, actually, no. I'm sorry. You- I was supposed to go on our inaugural sailing, and I missed it. I am going next month, but my team, obviously, uh, many of whom had never been 
uh, went on the first sailing, and people are just blown away by um, the the welcome, uh, the people of Cuba, I think, is the main thing that I hear about, uh, and just how welcoming and excited the people in Cuba are to have us. So what you're saying is an admission by the president of Carnival Cruise Lines that you missed the boat. <laughs> the ship, Peter. Remember, the ship. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I had to use the boat on that one. Come on, you got to give me yeah. that. you got to right. give me that. But what kind of feedback are you getting from the government there? Because clearly, at the end of the day, there's a financial component to this, given the fact that tourism and travel is the largest industry in the world. This is a big deal for Cuba. Uh, because they, if you look at, you know, it's not sugar production, it's not rum, it's travel and tourism. Well, I think we've had a great welcome and a great working relationship with the ministers uh, and other government officials in Cuba as they've opened up uh, under the Obama administration, uh, having not only uh, U.S. travelers coming in and staying at hotels, but in particular crews. Uh, So, as you know, Carnival Corporation with Fathom was the first uh, U.S. brand to sail into to Cuba. And so we've built up a relationship over time. Uh, I think they're really looking at how they manage that growth and capacity um, based on the infrastructure that they have in place, particularly for crews. But I think they're very excited. And I think we all believe this is a long game that we're playing. This is not, you know, what where we are today is really just in the very early stages and first steps uh, of, of developing um, Cuba again as a as a tourist destination. We've been speaking with Christine Duffy, the president of Carnival Cruise Lines. Christine, I remember at the time that the, that the doors sort of opened up and then they opened up a little more. There was an issue that had to be addressed, and I think it was, about the freedom of travel. Not just the Americans going to Cuba, but Cubans who wanted to, Cuban-Americans who wanted to go to Cuba. And, and the Cuban government finally said, yeah, they can come too. Well, it was really interesting because I don't think people were aware that there was a rule that uh, you could not come in or out of Cuba by ship if you were Cuban-born. And so as we went through this process, we actually were able to work to have the law that law was changed uh, so that those that were born in Cuba were able uh, to take the cruise uh, while there is some special documentation requirements uh, and, and important for people to understand those, uh, we were able, uh, working, uh, you know, with the Cuban government to make that happen. So that that was really an important uh, milestone, I think. Well, that was a breakthrough, actually. I mean, because it opens the door for so many other people people to travel. It did. It did. And that's who I think, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the, the press coverage and, and the conversation as Cuba opened up again for U.S. US tourists was, uh, you know, really important, I think, uh, in terms of the breakthrough that we've had. You know, in any society, uh, especially one that's dependent on travel and tourism, infrastructure is key. Obviously, not, there's still not enough hotel rooms there. Um, and the capacity of the port is still not where it needs to be, at least in Havana. So you and other cruise lines are somewhat limited as to where you can dock, not necessarily where you can tender, but where you can dock, right? Yes, yes. And that's why uh, the ship that we brought really is one of the smaller ships in our fleet, um, which is really probably the maximum size at this point that we can bring into the port of Havana. But there's more demand. 
There is, and, you know, that's always positive for any industry. So the fact that we have such positive demand for a destination like Cuba, that we don't think this is a flash in the pan, this is not something where you go once and say, okay, I'm done, because we do think it's such an important, its location um, is such an important and and great opportunity for cruising uh, in the years to come as part of a Caribbean itinerary and destination and its proximity. Uh, We think this is again um, a, a long-term uh, a long-term opportunity for for us in the cruise industry out of the U.S. And it's not just Havana. You've chartered a number of other viable harbors in that country, which is a huge country. Yes, um, as you know, with our Fathom brand, that was the first um, ship to go into Cuba from the U.S. Um, they were operating seven-day itineraries, um, stopping in a variety of other ports in Cuba. And so they are, they already like paved the way, so to speak, for for you guys to come back in with larger ships when it's appropriate. Yes, and I think for our brand at Carnival, our focus really is very much on Havana as the primary destination and port at this point um, for the sailings that we're bringing in. Uh, we think it's best suited, obviously, to accommodate the size of ships that we have. So here's my question: uh, When the ship comes back to Tampa. How much rum and cigars are coming off that ship? <laughs> I'm speaking uh, that, to you as, as, as a shopper that I know you are. Yes, right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like rum, not so much cigars, but, um, you know, I think actually what we, we, we do see is there's a lot of interest in art, uh, music, and cuisine. So I think what we're hearing and seeing from guests that have, that have, uh, that have gone to Cuba is just this unique culture that they can be um, immersed in very quickly. But art seems to be high on the list of what people are bringing back, in addition, of course, to uh, the allowable rum and cigars. Yes, focus on the word allowable. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm just bringing the cigars back for my friends, really, really. They're just my friends. (laughs) Although the one thing people should be aware aware of is that Cuba has not been literally able to increase their production of quality cigars or their production of rum. And at least in the cigar area, there's a tremendous amount of counterfeiting now uh, where people think they're buying a Cohiba or a, or a Monte Cristo, and in fact, they're probably buying a Dohiba <laughs> or a Monte Cristo. Uh, so just be aware of the fact that uh, you might have a better shot of buying an authentic Cuban cigar in Geneva than you will be maybe in Havana because the supplies are so low. Yes. Well, and we advise our guests to be very sensitive and careful about where they're making their purchases um, as, uh, as they experience Havana for the first time. Christine Duffy, president of Carnival Cruise Lines, thanks so much for joining us. Coming up next, an on-ground report from the COO for the Americas of Kempinski Hotels, the opener of a brand new hotel, which isn't really that new at all when we explain right here in Havana when we return to the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to the CBS Travel Hour with Peter Greenberg. 
Peter Greenberg here with you from Havana. In fact, from the Kempinski Hotel in Havana. Brand new hotel, uh, but not new in, in a lot of respects because it's located in one of the more amazing buildings and one of the more lo amazing locations in the capital city of Cuba. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. As you heard in my introduction earlier, I've been coming to Cuba since 1978. That's almost 40 years. Yes, I am that old. Uh, when I first came here, I came here to interview Fidel Castro. And, and, uh, and with, with very, very few exceptions, what I see on the streets today, what I see in the architecture today, what I see in the cars today, what I see in the energy today, uh, is roughly the same as I saw then. Obviously, things have changed. Uh, there's new infrastructure. Uh, you can actually get phone calls. In many cases, you can start to use your credit cards, American bank-based credit cards. Uh, the door has opened up. Uh, cruise ships are coming in at record levels uh, with American passengers. Uh, airline services increased. And along with that, of course, infrastructure has to change. Uh, for years, there are only about 60,000 available hotel rooms in Cuba, and what Americans didn't realize was that most of those rooms were already occupied by European travelers who'd been coming for years. So the fact that, that at one point the Obama administration relaxed the restrictions didn't mean that we're, there were suddenly 60,000 hotel rooms available. They're not. Uh, there may be a reason why there are about 8,000 listings on Airbnb now in Cuba. But if you're looking for a luxury hotel, up until recently, you had the Hotel National, which was a beautiful but fading masterpiece, going back to the Meyer Lansky days. And as I said earlier, but worth repeating, my mother and father honeymooned there in 1947. And, uh, but yes, you should go there and have a mojito and relive a little bit of history. But where I'm talking to you from now, located in really the uh, in Old Havana, which is a UNESCO-protected site, is the Kempinski Hotel. And joining me now, the Chief Operating Officer for the Americas for Kempinski and also the General Manager for this hotel, Xavier Destrovats. How are you, sir? Hello. How are you, Peter? Welcome. I should say, Xavier, anytime you wanted to come to Cuba, whether you were American or not, it was an adventure, it was a challenge, it was, it was an experience, and it was memorable. Uh, so much of that flavor still is here. But then there's the, the challenge of opening a brand new hotel with Western uh, expectations, I should say. Uh, that must have been a challenge for you. Well, it's been, um, we had all the backup from the uh, owning company. Uh, I have to say they have not spared any dollars to build the best infrastructure. As a matter of fact, you could move this hotel tomorrow to New York, to Paris, to Barcelona, and it will be the best hotel as far as facilities is concerned, are concerned. And, uh, and for the rest, um, yeah, it's maybe a little bit more difficult because you see time to get some furnitures or some materials here is a little bit longer than if you are in the Western Hemisphere. But otherwise, um, we, I think we did it and uh, with the team and uh, the support of the group and the corporate office, uh, we managed uh, in uh, record uh, three months to open the hotel. Now, I say this is a new hotel. This is not a new building by any means. No, the building is actually started in 1874. It was uh, first a shopping arcade, and then after that... At that the was Manzana. That was Manzana. Which uh, was Apple. Apple, Apple. But a Manzana means Apple, but also in Spanish it means like a block. 
in the U.S., a block of, uh, of houses, of streets, una, masa, una manzana. And then after that, it becomes, there was a silent cinema on the second floor. And then after that, from the second to the fifth floor was a primary and a language school up to five years ago. Wow. So this well, building is iconic. The people is really in the heart of the Cuban people because a lot of people came here to study. And it's emblematic. And uh, it was also one of the buildings where, uh, in the, when the revolution started, where many things happened. So much history here. Correct. So you had to be very, uh, very sensitive to the design, to the architecture, because it's a protected building. Yes, and as a matter of fact, before you go, please don't miss on minus one, we have part of the wall. The hotel is built on part of the wall, which the Spanish built, uh, you know, 300 years ago. And we kept the wall and we, did, we created a museum. Uh, we created a museum with some of the pictures and explaining the evolution of the wall from the construction to today. Before you came here, I, I'm going to make an assumption, uh, Xavier, that I would make about myself, that I knew a little bit about Cuba, that I'd studied it in school, I knew about Fidel Castro, I knew about the revolution, about Batista, about his diplomatic relations with or without the United States. But when you first came here, what was the biggest surprise for you? The, the good heart and the warm heart of the people. The, the, the Cubans are, are, with all the difficulty they've been having for many years, they're really good people, they are, they are gentle people, they have a good heart. They are smiling, and, um, and I think that makes a difference. They're hopeful. They are helpful. And hopeful. And hopeful very much, too. Very much, too. And, um, you know, they, they say, well, what's happening is happening, and uh, yeah, exactly, we think we'll get better. Well, and they have gotten better. Definitely. They had, I mean, even since I came the first time in August last year, I mean, the, the, the internet was, 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 was difficult to get and you had to pay $4 for an hour. In our hotel, for example, we introduced free internet for all our guests um, and with a high speed resolution. So this is good. And uh, the, the facilities of the hotel, I mean, we have high ceiling, this is part of the building, but all the furnitures and all the equipment is really something new, which, uh, as you mentioned before, tourism was not used uh, to be in, in Cuba. Although, if you take a look at their, their, uh, their GDP, you know, most people, I think, operate under the mistaken assumption that it's rum and sugar and cigars. And if you actually add rum and sugar and cigars together, it doesn't even come close to tourism. No, absolutely. I mean, tourism, like you mentioned, I mean, tourism has been, I mean, European market and Canadian and South American too, but I've been coming here for years and years and years. And um, of course, it's very good to have the American business because our product is also ready to cater to, to we have 50 suites uh, in our inventories and, and Americans are, are, you know, like big rooms and suites and, uh, and we're ready and, uh, and uh, ready for them. Of course, there are, your audience, because it's Kempinski, is expecting a five-star experience. They're expecting luxury. Difficult to deliver in this environment, but you're doing it. We, we uh, well, it's, it's getting better and better. We have, uh, as a matter of fact, I have two of my executives in Canada now, uh, in a huge company, in order to buy fruits, vegetable, wine, supplies. Uh, it's getting better. Uh, we have, with our hotel, because of the type of facilities we have, the rest needs to follow, means the food and the beverage. So we have opened new channels and we have imported many products which used to be not imported because there was no demand for those products. 
and uh, we are we we now are catering and ready to cater like a hotel in Europe or, or, or in the states. Well, one of the biggest problems at any hotel, especially if you're in an island nation, no matter where you are, is sourcing. How do you source? Your produce. How do you source your wine? How do you source your seafood? How do you source? Where does it all come from? We uh, the, the the a lot of seafoods come from Cuba. All the lobster and the shrimps, for instance, and some of the fishes. But we also a lot of uh, importers are bringing from China, from um, from uh, America, not America, from Canada, and from uh, Mexico and uh, Chile and Peru. And Europe, we have a lot of uh, stuff. So uh, we have enough uh, food and beverage uh, product in order to, to, to do um, first quality meals. And the government is allowing you to do that? Yes, we have to follow it. It may take longer to have an importation uh, license. Uh, we don't have an importation license, but we through the uh, buying company, purchasing company of the owning company, uh, we are able to bring anything from anywhere. So if I want a steak from Kansas, I can get one? Yes, or you can have a Coca-Cola, just that the Coca-Cola will be coming from Mexico. Well, when I first came to Cuba, the Coca-Cola was here, but it was coming from Spain. Well, you see, getting better now. It's yes. closer. Well, what m most Americans don't realize is when there was an embargo, there really was an embargo. So if you made a phone call from Los Angeles to Havana, it went through Madrid and that was why it was such an expensive phone call because the Spanish phone company was making a mint on those phone calls, right? Um, you didn't have credit card terminals, or you did maybe had a few of them, but a U.S.-based bank credit card was invalid here. You could not use it. Mm. Uh, you're getting better on that now, right? Your hotel does take credit cards now, right? Yeah, we take credit cards. You mentioned there is a few American banks yeah. uh, which work here. And all the main major European and international uh, uh, credit card works. And you can go to across the corner and soon in my hotel and just get some cash like any country in the world. Peter Graeber here with you from the Kempinski Manzana Grand Hotel right here in Havana. We've been talking to Xavier Destrobas, the general manager, who uh, is an import himself, uh, coming in from where? Originally from France. Right. But you've been all over the Kempinski regime, if you will. Yes. So they gave you this responsibility to open a hotel that was really a brave new world. Yes, it, it was, well, it's the first hotel of uh, our first entry in the America, really. So we're very, actually, we're very proud to be in Cuba. I think Cuba is a fantastic uh, city, country and, and Habana city, so historical. It is so close to our, our, our DNA, which is Europe. We are the oldest European company. We are from 1897. We are 120 years this year. This is our... 120 years anniversary. So, um, yes, it was uh, 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 um, a challenge. Every opening is a challenge. Uh, but this one, we really wanted to make it right. We wanted to open as a Kepinski and not as another hotel in Cuba. A showpiece. And a showpiece, absolutely, a showpiece. This is why we were very happy that the owning company, Gaviota, uh, choose uh, the, the very good designer and the construction company Buig, which is very experienced. And the hardware of the building, like I mentioned before, could be anywhere in the world, the first-class hotel. Now, there are a number of hotels uh, that go back, another, a number of American hotels that go back decades in Cuba that still have claims against the Cuban government, like the Hilton and some of the other hotels. And they're still trying to get down here and open Starwood. Now, of course, Marriott, they're doing something down here. Uh, but that takes time. 
it's you know when people heard that the door was being opened by the Obama administration, they all thought, "Wow, let's get down there." All the airlines were flying down, and then then some of the airlines just started to cut down their service, or in some cases eliminate their service because there weren't enough rooms. So it's going to take some time. Yes, it's. I think we are creating this hotel is creating a demand of customer who really didn't want to come to Cuba because there was not the level of service they are expecting. So, and more and more hotels, you know, Gaviota, our owning company, are opening uh, uh, next year another one, the following year, and only five-star deluxe. Uh, we have major brands coming soon after us. So we're really the first five-star brand to, to open, but uh, I can tell you they are opening, uh, they, Gaviota only is opening 3,000 rooms a year, not only in La Habana, and they are focusing now on this clientele, which maybe is lacking in Cuba, the five-star deluxe clientele. But a rising tide hopefully lifts all boats because the bottom line is you needed that product here. Correct. No, no, I think you needed this product. I mean, La Habana, Cuba needed uh, uh, a really uh, prime brand. Of course, it's easy for me to be prime brand, but to be really like a, I would say luxury, really a luxury hotel as far as facilities is concerned. And obviously, including the software and the service and the product, uh, not only delivery, but the product offering. And I would think, just in terms of infrastructure, if a guest stays at your hotel, you can enable him, them, or, or him or her to have a luxury experience outside the hotel because of you. Yes, no, definitely. We have our concierge department have sorted out some uh, interesting, uh, innovative uh, excursions or place to visit, and then of course we we have a program which is called Discovery and uh, we our, our mileage program is called Discovery and then once you have a few miles and a few nights you gain a Discovery experience so we, 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 we really focus on the Cuban experience in order to deliver this experience. One of the things that worries me is that and people are saying should I go to Cuba now and I go you know there's an old saying uh, historical designation of AD or BC I go BKFC, go before Kentucky Fried Chicken gets there. Absolutely. Well, the reason we came last year is my son said last year, let's go to Cuba before the Americans arrive. <laughs> and this is why we came in August and we fell in love. We, we, I didn't even know at the time. Of course, I came to see the hotel, but I didn't even think I would come back and, and leave president of Europe with 30 hotels for, for Cuba. So you see how I felt in love. I can see that. And now you're going to, and now you'll grow the Americas. Yes, we have another opening in two years in a small island called Dominica. I know Dominica. And by the way, a, a perfect uh, parallel to Cuba because Dominica doesn't have any good hotels. Nothing. I mean, when I say nothing, I mean we went and did a television show down there. I love the island, but the infrastructure. There's one old hotel there. And that's it. Yeah, there is the fourth youth where we stay, and yeah. there is a few bungalows, which are really yes. class. But we will be the first hotel to open over there. And then I have also two more projects in Cuba, because now that people see that Kepinski is here, you know, they raise the finger and say, I also want a Kepinski. So we have two more projects in Cuba uh, on the sea. And the thing about an island like Dominica is that once you open, then you have to figure out how to convince the airlines to fly there. Absolutely, the airport authority and the um, and the uh, and the airlines. Absolutely. And now there are some airlines, but the it's really regional airlines. And talking about development in Americas, if anybody here, me, we need a hotel in New York and we need a hotel in Miami <laughs> and in Los Angeles. Those three cities get away. I would like to have a Kepinski, 
and you can call me anytime to talk. <laughs> He's made the sales pitch on my show, folks. I love it. That's the first time somebody actually made a, made a real estate deal on my on my show. That's the very first time. Maybe the last time. Too. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> but the bottom line is, and I say this again, not because I'm promoting Kempinski, but if you're going to come to Cuba and you're not going to come by cruise ship where you're only going to be in for a day and sail out on the ship, but you're going to be here for more than a day and overnight actually in the city of Havana, you need to come over here and check this place out. Your rooftop is unbelievable. Talk about a, a room with a view and a pool. You won't find that anywhere in, in Cuba, anywhere. And the new hotel's opening will not have the view of we have of the Capitol, of the museum, and the art museum also. Xavier, thank you so much. That concludes this edition of the CBS Radio Travel Hour. I'm Peter Greenberg. See you next time on another edition of the CBS Radio Travel Hour. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.